Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 31st of March 2020. Mark Pender is on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, amidst all the market volatility, there have been at least a few signs in recent days that investors are beginning to give the policymakers the benefit of the doubt. And that's even if the fiscal response from some regions, notably Europe, still lacks the coordination needed to give it full value for money. There's certainly been some bottom fishing going on in the equity markets. The Dow last Tuesday through Thursday saw its biggest three-session winning streak since 1931. And the dollar's just ended its worst week since 1985. And that's a good thing because it means global liquidity strains are not what they were earlier in the month. Of course, there's still a long way to go to recover all the previous losses, and it could yet be that the upcoming economic news is so poor that even current asset price levels can't be sustained. Time will tell, but we are starting to get a few bits and pieces of data through that give us some tentative indication of what's been going on for this month. So, Mark, where's the US stand? And uh, while we're at it, I see the Fed's been busy yet again. Uh, yes, uh, establishing a um, repo facility for central banks. This is part of their dollar swap arrangements with central banks that they've been announcing and extending over the last several weeks. And this is what you were saying, which is to uh, reduce the uh, liquidity strain for uh, U.S. Um, uh, investments. Um, as far as the data goes, well, it is, I guess, surprisingly un uh, disastrous. It's kind of inexplicable, really. We had at least today's conference board report from uh, for uh, consumer confidence. The cutoff date of this was uh, March 19th. And um, if you recall, the jobless claims report for March 21, for the weekend of March 21, uh, and that was a Saturday, um, uh, was 3.3 million unemployment. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, and actually, the... Um, uh, Econoday forecast uh, is uh, looking at about that right now for the next week as well. Um, but uh, looking back again at March, um, it didn't seem to affect this panel at all. And, and this is a very large panel of consumers. Uh, this is a phone a survey of thousands, uh, several thousand consumers. So it's a very substantial... Can I ask a quick yeah. question on that? I don't know. I don't know if you have this or not, but do they give you sort of the regional breakdowns? So the kind of you know the, the uh, coronavirus hub stateside New York and that sort that's of thing. A, that's an interesting question. Um, let me just see here. Uh, hang on a second. And uh, I don't know how far you know, disaggregated this data is. On Europe, we get this EU sentiment thing, which you know we talked about, where uh -huh. they actually break it down into individual countries. Uh huh. Um, well, uh, as I'm looking that up. Uh, uh, but I can say, however, that the overall national readings were very little changed. Uh, still a very favorable, um, uh, a still very favorable assessment of the current jobs market, which is kind of a shock, almost like in line with what with uh, the pre-virus. Um, Mm. Uh, uh, economy. Uh, very few people saying jobs are hard to get and a lot of people saying jobs are plentiful. Um, let me just look here for the regional breakdown. I um, I didn't want to, they have of course income breakdowns and they do have a regional breakdown. Let's see here. Uh, we can just look at this real quickly. I guess the mountain states and Pacific states are going to be the most affected because of Washington and California of course. Also um, the uh, east um, 
and uh, New England. I'm just looking at these numbers right away. Mid-Atlantic, uh, East, North, Central. Really nothing that is striking uh, or lopsided. With the, they're using a census breakdown here, um, and I can see uh, by regional, but nothing that uh, 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 hits you over the head um, as being um, a regional uh, issue. It's like I say, it's I guess it's an, an inexplicable report, but um, uh, and what this is going to do is it's going to limit the expectations, which are already very limited for a deterioration in Friday's uh, employment report, U.S. employment report, where the uh, Econoday consensus is for a very limited decline of 150,000 in payroll. Mm-hmm. Now, the high, the low estimates here are in the millions, a couple of million. So there are economists who are seeing it, uh, who are expecting a, a catastrophic right. change in uh, payrolls. Um, so, uh, it'll be a very interesting question. Uh, uh, you know, in the U.S., not everyone is on payrolls, especially in the service or the accommodation and um, food services industries. So maybe they won't show up, but then they would definitely show up then in the uh, household uh, half of the uh, employment report, uh, the non-farm uh, the non-payroll part of the employment report. So something would have to crack, and there are some expectations for a jump in the uh, unemployment rate. Um, but uh, so far, it, it's uh, it's a little bit of a mystery, um, you know, why uh, this employment catastrophic or unprecedented, you know, climb in initial jobless claims, mm-hmm. which is uh, absolutely has been established, uh, hasn't isn't reflected yet in uh, consumer sentiment. So I guess it's just a question of time. Uh, they didn't put a warning in the report whether um, uh, low sample sizes were responsible for this, but this is a telephone survey, so you wouldn't think that that would be an issue. Um, so, uh, but let me let me head it back over to to your uh, uh, court. Uh, we had German unemployment today, and I see that that was um, sampled early in the month of March, but no uh, effect at all. Still five percent where it's been for a long time. Is the German economy, especially comparison to the American economy, is it is the is the are you know the American idea or the traditional? Um, uh, I would don't want to use the word socialism exactly like this, but there is a a, a, a greater uh, assumption of a social safety net in Germany. Do you think that that will a- affect how the unemployment uh, arises there? Possibly. I think one of the issues for the German economy is that because of the labour market has been so tight for so long, even though you know expectations for future business, future output and so on are extremely low and in a number of countries right across Europe, they're, you know, they're close to record lows, if not actually at all time lows. But still this sense, I think, particularly within Germany, that they want to retain skilled labour. And what they're concerned about is that, let's be honest, no one really has a clear idea about how the coronavirus is going to pan out, be it a, you know, a v- shaped recovery or a u-shaped recovery but if it's going to be a v-shaped one it's possible that a number of these firms in germany will want to hang on to skilled labor because there's been a shortage of skilled labor laborers out there now for the last couple of years or so really which means it's perhaps you know helping to at least artificially hold down the unemployment rate at least for the time being but i think you know chances are we will start to see these these jobless figures going up during the course of the next few months um in terms of looking 
up you know, how Journey stacks up against the likes from your side. We have this GFK consumer confidence um, indicator, which markets placed quite a lot of attention upon really and that saw a hefty decline those sort of their expectations for april so one of the sharpest declines on record now that's actually borne out in the, in the real data it would suggest we could see you know quite a sharp slowdown in terms of overall consumer spending and that's never really going to weigh on germany and indeed the rest of the eurozone but it's interesting looking at some of the recent data we've had here you mentioned from your side there hasn't been too much coming out of the stats guys uh, to the extent that perhaps you know but the 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 late the, sorry, the data themselves may not be quite as reliable as normal. Well, we've certainly had indications from Eurostat, the guys who are responsible for the the bulk of the eurozone economic figures, um, suggesting that although most of the March numbers should be treated as being pretty well reliable, they are now starting to get some problems, some issues with both uh, regional coverage. You know, individual countries supplying the data and also problems with uh, product coverage as well. So in the uh, the flash inflation figures we had out this morning, uh, there was a footnote at the bottom of that report, just you know, dropping a few hints. Well, look, we think these numbers are reliable, but it's starting to get harder to get the data compiled. So just read that, you know, reading between the lines, it does suggest, suggest there are going to be some issues regarding the accuracy of, well, let's be honest, most countries' data, I suspect, over the course of the next few months. Um, otherwise, well, it's interesting. What what can we sort of draw from the numbers we do have out of Europe so far? And again, the t ones which are useful, I suppose, are really still. UK um, was interesting with a news sort of survey, what a private survey which came out earlier on this morning, and that really highlighted the you know the panic buying of essentials and particularly groceries. So looking at the last four weeks, year-on-year -year supermarket sales basically of groceries and, and food and so forth, they're up by almost 21% on a year-on-year -year basis. And that's a reflection of the fact they estimate about 88% of households visited, visited food stores during the previous week, adding about 42 million extra trips across four days. So this is very much an indication of you know, the panic buying surrounded by this coronavirus that a lot of people have been talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of apparent, I think, is some of the inflation figures from, from the Eurozone. Um, now, headline inflation itself was soft. Indeed, we saw it quite a lot weaker than expected. Um, we're now down on a headline basis for Eurozone inflation uh, to just 0.7%. That's down 0.5 percentage points from February. And that's mm -hmm. one of the best drops we've ever seen. But looking at the breakdown, core inflation, so we strip out energy, um, which we know fell out of bed in March, um, and food. That also came down a couple of ticks as well, down to 1% from 1.2%. But the food component of that was actually up quite significantly. So it does fit in with this general idea that the first round impacts on inflation, at least as far as the Eurozone is concerned, is this panic buying of essentials like food putting upward pressure on food prices but non-essential items simply coming under increasing downside pressure due to the lack of demand mm -hmm. i wonder if you've got any of that kind of balance showing through from you know, your statistics well uh in the, well let's turn back to the consumer confidence report uh they really uh, buying plans for significant goods uh, like how, how or uh, 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 major appliances uh, and cars also houses they did come down but nothing uh too dramatic um oh by the way where now you you were citing uk shopping data yeah what, 
is that a weekly report or is that well, is, is that a, well this is a, this is just a private sector report which came out this morning i think to be honest it's mm -hmm. a one-off so it's not a it's oh. not a regular one Okay, well, we have the regular one here in the U.S. We had Redbook, and it's been uh, and uh, Redbook uh, is um, general merchandise and um, clothing um, and, uh, that those categories, excluding auto uh, autos, gasoline, restaurants, and they have been spiking. Now the spike has been coming down a little bit, uh, but uh, definitely was showing the stockpiling going on. Uh, and we'll have the CPI next week for March for the U.S. And uh, it wouldn't be as – or was that coming out uh, – no, yeah, that's coming out uh, a week from Friday. And uh, there – you would expect to see some kind of price traction for uh, general merchandise. Um, but – you know, at the same time, oil prices are going down. Also, demand for gasoline is going down with these restrictions, of course. And the price of gasoline is actually coming down. And so that's going to be a very significant thing. We're also going to get motor vehicle sales uh, coming in on the first and the second in the next couple of days. And um, the expectations there are very, are you know, looking pretty grim. So, um, and it's not, and actually where, where I am in Pennsylvania, it's actually illegal to sell a car right now. So for a new, for new dealers. So, um, All right. uh, yeah, so it's, so that's going to be, and that's, you know, 20% of the uh, retail sales are, are going to uh, buying uh, used in new vehicles. So, um, that would be a significant, uh, uh, downdraft. Um, but I guess, you know, for the U S, um, it's going to be the employment report. I guess on Friday, even though it was sampled in the first half of the month, or actually the the, the second week of the month in March, so it's not going to pick up the entire um, disaster that uh, that apparently ha that certainly has happened with those unemployment claims. But uh, like I say, we, the consumer doesn't seem to be uh, overly affected right now, judging yeah. by the consumer confidence report. Well, I think one of the things to look at over here is going to be the PMIs. Now, these are just uh, you know the final um, surveys for manufacturing will get uh, for Europe tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, and then the uh, the composite output index, the overall um, combined surveys, that's due out the final figures there on Friday. Now, typically speaking, certainly as far as Europe's concerned anyway, you tend to get very small revisions between the flash data and the revised final data. Mm -hmm. This time round, I do wonder whether the scope to actually see something a bit different. And I say that because looking at most of the figures and the survey data we've had out so far it's by and large been taken before around about the 16th of March and that was when we started to see a whole swathe of national lockdowns being introduced right across Europe so it could well be that you know the second half of March economic activity in general then might well be significantly lower than it was over the first half of March. So I think it's worthwhile keeping an eye on the flash PMIs, which, to be honest, people tend to look at just briefly because you know, normally are not revised very much. There is perhaps that much, that much more scope for some kind of revision this time. Mm -hmm. The other thing I should... Sorry. Go ahead. I'll just mention in terms of just the numbers, the other thing I should mention in case anyone hasn't noticed it is that um, as a result of this coronavirus and due to uh, some of the impact it's had on the, on the workforce, the UK Office of National Statistics now um, decided to bring forward the release time for most of the major UK economic numbers. So local time in the UK, it's always been 9.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. now They're now going to come out at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's mm -hmm. not for all numbers, the private indicator is like the purchasing mm. manager surveys, CBR money supply and so on won't be affected, but it will be a new release time for most of the major UK numbers. 
And I'd like to assure listeners that we are very alert to price uh, to time changes on this data. So when you're looking at the Econa Day calendar, it's uh, going to be updated um, with the with the proper time as soon as we as soon as we get the information. But uh, let me just turn off to a big report that came on um, uh, or uh, last uh, or this morning um, Chinese time, and that's the uh, the official manufacturing uh, PMI, yeah, the CFLP. That popped up. Now that's not a surprise, uh, which are because that um, these diffusion indexes measure month to month. The questions are month to month. So uh, you know, are your new orders up from last month? Are they down from last month? And then you get a general uh, reading. So because the compare, we'd been talking about this before, because the comparison was so incredibly easy in in the depressed uh, virus months of January and February uh, that uh, any kind of improvement. Would make a would come up to a strong reading. Actually, I think it came in at 52. That's not a really great reading because uh, a 50 reading would mean that um, there was no change from the January February. Or was it? Did they release uh, uh, the CFLP in a combined month for January and February? Let me just check. Uh, this, was just, this one was just for March. This uh, was for March, and yeah, no, they released it for January and February uh, as well. Okay, so the comparison then is February. So actually, and it was 52.0, and uh, February was 35.7. Now, that is a really significant decline in, in composite activity from January. A 52 is just a little bit, shows a little bit improvement from February. So it's still a very weak reading. It's with it's, it's because of the base. But... Um, that that's a little nuance in how to appreciate these diffusion indexes. So you ha we have to be careful in describing, um, you know, that strength because it's it, it's more re it's actual the absolute strength is very little changed from February. Yeah, and I'm just to add to that. I think you're you're exactly right in terms. You got to be careful how you interpret these things, um, because they're diffusion indexes. Um, effective, they're you know they're qualitative rather than quantitative. Mm -hmm. And what I mean there is, let's suppose we've got you know the start of a turnaround from a really deep recession. You could well get almost every company, let's say, increasing you know its its supply of widgets by one widget out of a typical baseline of 100. Well, if everyone just managed to produce one more widget, you'll get a 100 reading mm -hmm. on the PMI. If they all produce 10 widgets more, you still only get a 100 reading. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, you, as you say, you've got to be very careful how yeah. you interpret this stuff during times when you've got big swings going on in actual output. Right. Reader beware. Usually a 52 reading is uh, a good, a solid uh, incremental uh, increase from a normal level. But uh, that's not how this 52 is. This 52 is from a very, very, very low level. Yeah. So, and uh, another thing on, on those lines as well, I think also when we're talking about some of the forecasts coming out, I mean, you were talking about and, you know, the expectations for the, you know, the, the payroll and so on on Friday. I think when we're at the start of what appears to be you know, perhaps a steep downturn, perhaps we'll get away and it won't be too bad. But the bottom line is that forecasters don't really have that much of a clue at the moment because this, this is completely unprecedented it's, as far it's, as… It's kind of unfair to them and they were kind of is. under a lot of stress to come up to come up with some kind of a number and it, we saw that with you know goldman sachs or, or morgan yep. stanley just plucking numbers out of the air or where they think gdp is going to fall they say it with some authority but it's a complete blind guess it is yeah exactly that Okay. Um, oh, quickly, before we round off, before we prattle on for too long, I should just mention one uh, change to ECB policy. 
Um, obviously, all sorts of, well, governments and central banks are, are throwing the proverbial kitchen sink at these economies and markets at the moment to try and stabilise things. Well, the ECB last Thursday, which I don't think was too well documented, um, gave itself sort of ex- what they called extraordinary new powers, which effectively means it can buy up almost unlimited amounts of sovereign debt. Now, the way they operate in the past, they have this so-called capital key. And it's really comes that effectively determines how many how much how many bonds the ECB can buy from individual uh, eurozone member states, and effectively they can't they can't buy more than a third of the entire supply of bonds. Well, that still applies to their existing so-called QE program, but their new emergency this pandemic emergency purchase program they introduced what a week or so ago. Under that, uh, there are no no rules applied to it which essentially means they can now go out and buy whatever they want. So although they may not be yeah. saying it as much, essentially we're now talking about, you know, ally US, you know, un- unlimited quantitative easing from the, from the ECB if they and want to go down that route. And there's no regulation uh, authorities, no complaints? No, uh, well, this is, this is it. Traditionalists? This, oh, well, there's, there's going to be some, no doubt. I say they've got the scope to do it now. Whether whether or not the likes of Germany and the Netherlands will allow them to do it, of course, is is very much another issue. But mm. at least they have the scope to do it now where they didn't mm. before. Well, Indeed, yeah. I should... I should also mention, I think we talked about it briefly last week, but the EU Commission Council officially requested the abandonment of the Growth and Stability Pact last week as well. Yeah. So that will be going through, which allows budget deficits to go up. At the risk of prattling on too long, can you touch really quickly on what is going on right now within the EU, um, the coronavirus bonds, um, and I guess some kind of strains with Italy and Spain? Yeah, one of the problems I think at the moment is that um, ideally there's this view that they should be issuing some kind of coronavirus bond, which effectively would be sort of a, a euro bond, um, which would allow additional funding for all the various national governments with regards to you know trying to tackle the coronavirus. Um, the problem is that we have countries, notably Germany and the Netherlands, who have been opposing this call from you know the hardest hit countries, and they're really Italy, Spain, and France at the moment, you know, to, to issue this. This, this, to issue this euro bond and it's it really comes down to the fact that you know the likes of germany doesn't want to see its borrowing being you know attached to something with an italian bond on it which effectively would it come out as being because it'd be this kind of you know whole whole eurozone wide bond and it's it's one of these chinks in the you know the armor which raises the question that can at the end of the day that you know at the eu level can we get a response which will you know p- provide eu citizens with what they want show them the solidarity which you want to have right across the european union or is it still going to be this fractional uncoordinated approach that we've seen in the past and it is one of the big issues i think which is you know investors more longer term are going to have to consider for the eurozone because when you get you know push comes to shove you don't always get the kind of harmonious and unity showing that you really need over aspects of policy that you know, investors really want to see um, with regards to italy well the news just continues to be bad out there 
I mean, I suppose um, the good news is that there are some indications that the you know the death rate is flattening out and maybe coming down a little bit now. But there are still major concerns about the rate of growth and the spread of the virus. We've had social unrest uh, taking place increasingly in the south of the country now. There's a danger of making it into this kind of north-south north-south um, uh, divide, which can't be good news. So Italy at the moment is still very much one of the you know very much the hot spot as far as uh, the corona. Virus is, is within Europe, but it is interesting because it is you know, what's happening now right across Europe is going to, going to be a test of political mm. harmony for the eurozone, and how it emerges from this could well determine at the end of the day whether investors are going to trust the euro or not. Okay, um, what else have we got? Are we done for now? I think we're probably done. Yeah, yeah, I think we're done. Okay, let's call it a day then, as far as this week's concerned. Well, I guess the outlook for financial markets inevitably remains highly certain. But once investors are convinced that the current shakeout has ended, they'll be on the lookout to see which economies are staging the strongest recoveries. So the economic data will be more important than ever. So keep up to date with all the major numbers and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Thanks, as always, for listening. And on a personal note and in the interest of a less stressful lockdown at home, it's the wife's birthday. So if you're listening, happy happy birthday. birthday, Sheila. Um, Right. Mark and I will be back next week and joining us will be our Asian expert, Brian Jackson. We'll see you then. Bye for now.